The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Have an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, oh, that's a very good question. Uh, hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? You lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Joe Napote, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Uh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom, how are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody, as we roll into the third half of our three-hour tour. Uh, sorry about that little delay there. I was connecting up with my guest for this hour, and uh, I'm really kind of excited about this one. This one should be a lot of fun. Um, my guest is, in fact, a uh, Hall of Fame game inventor and executive, and he tells the story, the inside story, of the toy industry in his new book, A Game Maker's Life. His name is Jeffrey Breslow, and he joins me by phone. Good morning, Jeffrey, and welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me on your show. I'm delighted to talk with you about my book. I greatly appreciate it. When, uh, I, I'm curious about what happens with any inventor, but especially someone who's involved with uh, inventing and developing games. Um at, at what point, Jeffrey, do you get a game created, developed, and think, I think this could work? <laughs> well, you kind of do that with everyone you start with, obviously. <laughs> okay. I mean, if you, if you didn't think that, you wouldn't begin doing anything. We were in the entertainment business. But, okay? but there we are some people, children. Jeffrey, what I'm getting at is there are some people who have great ideas and just don't believe that anybody else will go along with them. Well, it, it, it happens to be difficult today, okay? It, it, it never was easy, but it was easier. Uh, and and really? basically what happened way back when is that the guy who hired me, uh, tried to manufacture toys, and he kept losing his ass, didn't want to do that anymore. And he looked at the book business, he looked at the record business, and said, I want to do that in the toy business, toy and game business. I want to come up with ideas and license them to the manufacturers and have them pay me a royalty. And that was unheard of way back when. This was in the late 50s. And he started with one company, Ideal Toy, and was very successful. He said, I'll show you ideas, sign the disclosure so you're not going to steal it from me. And if you don't like it, I'll show you more. If you don't like it, I'll show you more. So the expense is mine, and I'm kind of a free designer for you. And if we work, you know. So that was the very beginning of the independent toy design business way back in the late 50s. How would it and have been had, done, you know, 
before and, and during World War II, for example? Well, how it was done primarily is somebody had an idea for a toy or a game or anything and started a company. I mean, uh, you know, uh, Shopper was started. Uh, Shopper did cootie back in the 50s. And the guy who started it, Herb Shopper, was a tool and die maker. Plastic was just coming in. And he had this idea to make this plastic bug and put it together. And he started a company. Ruth and Elliot Handler, Mattel, okay? Elliot Handler was an industrial designer. Ruth was a businessman. They started a company in, in the 50s uh, making toys and musical boxes. And then they had an idea to make this plastic doll when plastics came out in 58. And they had a daughter named Barbie, a son named Ken, and they started a business, okay? You know, I can give you example upon example, and that's how it was done. It was done by an entrepreneur who had an idea for something and started a company. Uh, Hasbro was the Hassenfeld brothers. They were in the pencil business, okay? And they made this, they had little plastic parts, and they took a potato, and they stuck nose and everything else in this potato and that was obviously you know what that was okay so that's how it was done okay and and i can go on and on with those examples but and it's still done today there's still people who create product today that can start a company cards I, against humanity cards against humanity gigantic success card that's game. a fun game you know um, uh, you know when you magic, when you mentioned that. magic well i'll give you a cup magic the gathering incredible card game uh, you know i mean exploding kittens you know i mean so it, it can still be done today it's not easy but it can when you, still be done when you say you can you know come up with your own product and manufacture it first thing popped into my head was the pet rock okay yeah i know you know but but to understand I started in the entertainment world, okay, which is movies, films, theater, books, records, everything else. It's all built on failure. You fail, you fail, you fail, okay? You do it again, you fail again, okay? It, it's, that's, that's the nature of it. A big movie studio makes 20 films. 18 go down the drain, you know, and, and the other two make up for everything. We, in, in the course of a year, when I started working at, at Marvin Glass and Associates, we logged in an idea, okay? We had a book, we put a number, and we started working on it. The only thing we had was our time. We had no material costs. We just built prototypes. It was very, and so we had to be careful about our time. And during the course of a year, we would generate 700 ideas, okay? And, and we would end up making prototypes of maybe 150. We'd probably get a, a contract and, and license 30, 40, and if five or six were huge successes, it paid for everything. So everybody's got an idea. They think, oh, I, this is, I could do it. It's very difficult because most of it fails in anything. I mean, making music, writing a book, which I just did, you know, uh, that's, and, and it's, it's difficult for people to understand. The guy's got an idea. Uh, he thinks nobody's ever thought of it before. Truth of the matter is, somebody's thought of that before, okay? It may be a variation of it, a board game. Well, it's kind of like Monopoly, you know? So it, it's not easy. If it was easy, everybody would be doing it. If, if Making movies, making music, writing books, you know, it's built on failure. And how, you have to understand that going in. That's all. How did um, making games start for you and... and where did it, what was going on? How did you know that you were 
going to be or becoming successful at it? <laughs> well, I started out kind of slow. I, you know, I was in the <laughs> bottom, bottom, bottom quarter of my high school. You know, I graduated, you know, I can't even tell you the number, but it was the bottom quarter of my high school class. This was 1960, a long time ago, you know. And at that time, uh, University of Illinois, where I wanted to go to school, would accept anybody who graduated from high school, even the last, the bottom of your bottom of your class in high school, could get into the University of Illinois at that time, okay? And, and my guidance counselor suggested a smaller school. She said, maybe that'd be a little too difficult for you. So I went to Bradley, okay? And after a year, I was on terminal probation. I mean, that was the name of it, terminal probation. <laughs> <laughs> My, my folks weren't particularly happy to hear that, you know. So I, I went to, you know, and my only A in high school was an art class. I had this wonderful art teacher. She was like a mentor. You know, the rest were, you know, C's and D's. You know, I mean, and so I, I took a weekend trip to the University of Illinois to see friends who were going to school there. And there was a new art building at the school. And I walked down the corridor, and there was a display in the glass cabinet of industrial, sophomore industrial design. And I said, wow. I didn't even know what industrial design was, but it, the display was amazing, what these uh, sophomore kids did. And I don't need to go into detail, but I stood there with my mouth open. And Ed Zagorski was the instructor, sophomore industrial design. And across the hall was the door half open with Ed's name on it, okay, <laughs> I, I was 18 years old. I knocked on the door, and I said, can you tell me about industrial design? And Ed talked to me for 20 minutes. And, and, and the gist of what he said is, is, is design, is the mantra is form follows function, okay? It's got to work, and then it can be beautiful. He said you can design a, a beautiful chair, but if it's not comfortable to sit in, it's a terrible design, okay? Whatever, you know. And, and that's, he said that's the basis of all design. Whatever it is, it's got to function. Okay, a tool, a phone, or this or that, then it can look beautiful. I walked out of there and they said, I want to be an industrial designer. Okay, and I went back to Bradley and I studied. I got on the dean's list. I transferred and I had to start over again as a freshman. Okay, and, and uh, so a year and a half after terminal probation, a year and a half of college down the drain, and now I'm starting over again. You know, and my folks were happy that I was excited. Anyhow, we did a toy project. And, uh, what they did in design was, was that you, they jury graded because it's subjective. So Ed didn't, he was one of the ones, but the rest of the faculty all decided on your project. And so this was to design an original toy is what it was. Not a game, but a toy. And uh, I did some children's modular furniture. I built a small prototype and then I did a full size, built a full size. And I uh, took it to a kindergarten, and it was cubes that fit together, and it was an easel, a stool, a chair, brightly colored. And I came in second. I had never come in second in anything in my life. I came <laughs> in second. Okay, holy cow. You know, and John Spinello, okay, who was in the service and came back to school, did this blue box with a wire and a probe. And it had a buzzer in there. And if you stuck it through, you made a contact and the thing buzzed. Okay, that was it. Just a plain box. And I said to John, what are you going to do with that? He says, I got an uncle in Chicago who works a guy by the name of Marvin Glass. I said, what is he? He says, a toy design. Are you kidding me? So John went to see him. He got graduated six months ahead of me. And Marvin wasn't hiring, but he said, I'll give you $500 for the box. And he sold the box for $500. Now, at that time, a semester tuition 
at the University of Illinois was about $480. So $500 was a lot of money back in. Anyhow, the box went on to become the operation game, okay, <laughs> you know. And so when I graduated, I wanted to get a job with Marvin, and he wasn't hiring. And I ended up designing medical equipment and supplies, uh, you know, for two years, and they kept me out of Vietnam. Anyhow, I was designing stuff on my own. All I wanted to do was work for this guy. And at that time, I had to go to the library, look him up, and he had publicity and magazines and stuff. This was before computers, before anything. You sat in the library, and you went through all these files of old magazines, you know. And I made up my mind this was a guy I wanted to work for. And I, and I kept doing stuff on my own, coming up with ideas for toys and games and other things. So I had a prototype, you know, uh, in a portfolio. And I, I finally went to see him after two years and got an interview. And that was Tuesday morning, 10 o'clock, April 11th, 1967. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the bigger surprise, Jeffrey, the things that work or the things that don't? I'm sorry? Which is the bigger surprise, the things that work or the things that don't? Oh, certainly the things that, that work are the bigger surprise. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. For sure, you know. I, I mean, I just gave you the numbers. It, it, the, the things that work are the bigger surprise, you know. But, but, the, but the part of, about it is that you, you, you could dream. And, you, and everything you do, you dream is going to be the bestseller, going to make a million bucks. Uh, yeah, that, it allows you to dream. It doesn't mean they come true. But, but that's the fun of doing it. But it, it's the fun of being able to make mistakes, and it's okay. You know, if you're a surgeon, you can't make too many mistakes. If you're a lawyer, an accountant, a lot of other things, you, you, your career doesn't allow very many mistakes. But, but this type of career, and again, in the entertainment business, is built on mistakes. And you have to understand that. You have to accept that and deal with it. And some people, you know... Uh, you know, uh, and, and the overnight success is, you know, I mean, you know, the Beatles spent nine years in Germany working on their music. They were not an overnight success, you know, and there's plenty of people out there who put the time in there. You never hear of them, you know, bands and this and that. It's just that's how it is. You know, Bill Gates at 12 years old was that he had somebody and he was in the mainframe of the computer at UCLA and was programming at 12 years old. Doesn't happen. I'm, I'm sitting now in my, my sculpture studio, and I got a sign right above me, okay? It says, the harder you work, the luckier you become. And, and I believe that. <laughs> I, I agree with you. I'm fascinated by, by creativity, and you mentioned a couple things that were, you know, maybe a little bit off the beaten path when it comes to making games or designing games and toys when you brought up... Um, art and music, um, and and even engineering for that matter. Um, I have to take a short break here, Jeffrey, but I want to talk some more about that and how all of those things relate and and whether or not you have you can teach creativity or if it just happens. Um, anyway, I want to get into all that. Can you stick around for a few minutes so we can talk some more? Sure. Okay, okay, my guest is uh, Jeffrey Breslow, and uh, his new book is A Game Maker's Life, where um, he tells the inside story of the toy industry, and we're going to find out some more about that and the creative process after we let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, 
we have some messages as well, so don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hornets. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's, that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom. This is my favorite interview always. You, you, <laughs> it's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. 
Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. We continue our conversation about a game maker's life with the author of a new book by that name, um, who is uh, called Jeffrey Breslow, and he joins me by phone. Jeffrey, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. Sorry to make you sit through all that. (laughs) Thank you. Um, Jeffrey, I mentioned just before the break that I wanted to get into creativity because i'm always fascinated by that is that something that that is sort of innate in people or can it be taught well my my take on creativity is that creativity functions under pressure you need pressure to be creative okay <laughs> you you need you, you have an art show coming up and you got a date and you're painting away you know we have a client coming in to see some new toys we're working Okay, and and if the pressure disappears, the creativity slows down. Uh, typically, if we we're working and we work from client to client, we're not working for a client we're seeing in three weeks. We're working for a client we're seeing in two days. Okay, that's where that's where the creativity comes from. If the meeting gets postponed, it takes another week to do all that work. So part <laughs> of you, you cannot tell somebody be creative. I'm going to double your salary. Be more creative. It doesn't work that way. It, it work, creative people are driven by applause, okay? You, you're on the theater, you're on the stage. That's what drives you, okay? That's, that's, you're a musician. It's not just making the music. It's being out there in front of people live, okay? That's well, there's a great quote from, from uh, Stephen King, and uh, I, it was an interview I heard. It wasn't one of mine, sadly, but um, somebody asked him, said, uh, do you write to a muse or to a schedule? And he said, always to the muse. But fortunately, the muse shows up every morning at 9 o'clock. <laughs> okay. And it's yeah. that same kind of thing you're talking about, Jeffrey. It's, you know, there's you sit no, there's down. No question. Well, there's no question about it. It, it. That's what it takes, okay? I mean, that's how it works. And, and, and you have to regulate the pressure. You can't put people under pressure all the time. But you have to ebb and flow the pressure. But creative people are driven by that. Okay, and and the and and what Marvin did, and what I continue to do, is if you're a young designer and you're there a week and you build a prototype, you're in front of that client. Marvin never took anything away from anybody and showed it for you. You walk in that conference room holding something, the client looks at it, says, "Nope, don't like it." Next, okay, you walk in and hold something, the client says, "That's fantastic. I love that." That's what you're working for. Okay, you're not working for money, but you're working for that feedback. And, and that's how it works, you know. And, and we, never, we never made a drawing for anything. We had an idea for a toy, a game, a doll, a ride-on, a vehicle. We built it, okay. You show a drawing to somebody, the guy says, I like it. Okay, make it, okay. We didn't bother with, I like it, make it. We made it, okay. And that was our strength. That we, and, and most of the people who were successful at our company came from an industrial design background, Okay. Primarily because part of being an industrial designer in, in school is learning how to build things, a shop course where you can make stuff, okay? And make and, stuff that works. Well, yeah, obviously, but, but you had to learn how to use tools, machinery, build stuff. We had, we had many model makers that worked for us on very complicated stuff, engineer model makers. But, but a young designer 
still had to build stuff and make things themselves. And that's how I started out. You know, you have an idea, make it and show it. Doesn't like it, make another one, make another one. Isn't that so a little mad? Isn't that a little maddening? That's what drives creativity, in my opinion. When you put somebody out in front of a client, especially a, a, a new hire or a young designer, right. isn't that a little maddening? Maddening for who? For the young designer. Absolutely the not. Person, the, the person that's learning their craft. That's how you learn, okay? I mean, that's how, that's how you learn. You're not going to, you know, the first one you bring in, the guy's not going to say, I love it, okay? <laughs> that's the learning process, okay? But but you have to be able to, to do lots of them, okay? And you can, and, and, and an idea, okay, in our business was a combination of a pure idea and execution, okay? And I'll give you two examples. A pure idea in the toy business was a hula hoop, okay? Anybody could have made that thing. It could have been a little thicker, a little different diameter, a little different color, that, that, there was no execution. That was 100% idea, and a terrific idea, you know, 60, 70 years ago. It's a huge success. I'll give you another idea that doesn't mean much, okay, but it's about execution. You have two plastic robots, and they're in this little ring, and you have two things, <laughs> and you move it around, and one pops the head off of the other one. That idea is worthless. It's the guy who built it, my partner, Bert Meyer, who made that work. But a lot of them are a combination of idea and execution, okay? I gave you two extreme, I give you another execution, Rubik's Cube, okay? That was all execution. I mean, you ever take one apart? It was genius inside that thing. And, and you know, when I saw that thing, I, I just, I bought another one, and I took the first one apart. I couldn't believe how you can have a puzzle, puzzle that was self-contained and impossible to... I know what you mean. I, you know, I, I toyed with the idea of taking it apart to put it back together, configured, and and then I figured out. Oh, wait a minute! These little stickers come off. (laughs) I can, I can fix it that way. Yeah, but the other thing is, all the huge successes in, in the toy business would have tested poorly. We never tested anything with kids ever. Okay. The only time we brought a kid is we never never even brought a kid in. We 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 knew what to do. Okay, you're not in all the huge successes would be tested poorly. I'll give you a few examples. Barbie in the late fifties. Okay, you test that with a mother. I'm going to buy that for my daughter. Are you kidding me? A plastic doll with big boobs and little feet. I, I you know, I, never. Okay, cabbage patch. Okay. Ugly doll, never sell. The two doll experts were Ideal and Mattel. They were the doll companies. They looked at that thing, ugly, never sell. You, you're making them all different, impossible to do. Coleco, who never made a doll before, said, well, we can figure out how to make one a little different, change the eye color, the clothes, the this, the that. And they thought it was kind of cute. And, and mothers waited in line for hours to buy a cabbage patch. You know, I mean, obviously, Rubik's Cube, you know, puzzle was $2, not $10 at that time and you're making a puzzle that 99.99 percent of the people will never solve never sell and it was one of the big toys in the world so you can't test you know and and the big proponent of that was steve jobs he didn't test anything he didn't didn't do focus groups he made something beautiful that you would buy He, he didn't he never tested any you can't test a movie you can't test a play you can't test a hit song doesn't work that way 
Boy, there's a lot of people making money trying. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know what I'm you know. saying. <laughs> it, it, you know, it, does, it doesn't, you know, if they could test things, they would test a movie and there would be a hit movie. You know what I mean? Well, that's what I'm saying. There, there are, you know, there are uh, consultants and agents right. and things that, that actually do try to, you know, put a small focus group in a theater you know, and you, show them a movie and see. I'll give you the definition of a consultant. Okay? Yeah, yeah. The guy that buys your watch so he can tell you what time it is. <laughs> <laughs> that's a consultant. Oh, that's funny. Um, what were you've mentioned a couple, but where were you in the development of of some of these um, these games? Well, again, I mean, I did many of them. My partners did many of them. What do you consider you know? some of your personal successes? Let me put it that way. Well, I, I mean, I mean, ants in the pants is one of the first things <laughs> I did. When there and it's still selling 50 years later i mean that's just astounding to me you know i mean you know i did the bucket of fun that's been gone i i did masterpiece game which was a huge success for a long time i mean it uh, did extremely well it was kind of the follow-up to they pitched it as the follow-up to monopoly when it was at parker brothers you know so uh i did uh, many of them i mean i you know Gestures, which is a charade game, still sells. That was fun to do. You know, charades was kind of tough because you had to write it out, and it's a movie, a song, of this. This was a charade game with one word. You had to convey one word against a timer. And and uh, Ellen DeGeneres built a giant one and had it on her show. And, and I and I called Hasbro and I said, "How did you get that to happen?" They said they had nothing to do with it. She played the game. She liked it. She, she didn't even ask them for permission, <laughs> which they would have given her. <laughs> He built a gigantic, you know, model of, of a game I designed myself, and she's playing it with all kinds of celebrities on there. She was a game nut, really. She oh, would have been a good great. game designer as well. That's great. <laughs> Anyhow, um, so, where did board games come from? Well, you know, I mean, earlier than even Monopoly was the Game of Life from Milton Bradley. The Game of Life has got over 100 years old, maybe. You know, I mean, I don't know the the first one, but that was one of the first early ones. And again, the guy who did it was a guy by the name of Milton Bradley. You know, I mean, obviously, Parker Brothers, there were brothers, you know, that that did, you know, Monopoly. I mean, you know, so that's how it started. You know, I mean, Mark's Toys, Louis Marks, you know. Would those, would those have uh, flown, do you think, had there been radio and television when the, when the Game of Life was... No, I, don't I mean, I, I, if you had came up today with Monopoly, just as it is, it would never sell. It, it takes too long to play. It, it is, you didn't even know what a Monopoly was. You know, you knew if you had the same colors, that you get the yellows, the greens. You, you would, it, it, it sold because it was during the Depression and you played with money, you know. Uh, so it, 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 it had its time, and it's still it's amazing. And, and the two Parker brothers would have never allowed licensing. In other words, you can have Monopoly, Star Wars Monopoly. You can have any, you know, anything <laughs> Monopoly today. They would have never done that. That, that came later on. I mean, you know, they would roll over in the grave if they knew what you did with Monopoly. You know, anyhow, it, it, there is a time and a place for things. You know, there was a time and a place for metal toys, wood toys. Then plastic came in and changed everything. And, and the industry changes 
it's very different than when I started. And, and the big difference is, number one, because of all the other things available, we lose our consumer at an earlier age. You know, they have phones, they have video games, they have pads, you know. So where we would have a 10 or 12-year-old playing stuff, they're long out of that. So it was a crunch on our consumer. The second thing that made a huge difference was the consolidation of companies. You know, we would sell Parker Brothers, Milton Brad, and now they're owned by bigger companies. So we have today, if you're doing this, you have fewer consumers with, within the manufacturing company. The other thing is electronics. There's everything talks, you know, talks, music, everything today. Preschool toys, games, dolls, pretty much everything. And the final thing that's a huge, in, in my opinion, a huge sadness is that the biggest toy company today is Amazon. You can't walk down the aisles and see things, you know. When, when I got hired, I had a week before I, and I said, what am, what am I going to do? I didn't know. I went to Toys R Us every day for a week. And, and the, the manager came over and says, are you buying anything? Can I help you? I said, I'm going to be a new toy designer. I'm just doing some research here. You know, I got I didn't have any kids. I didn't have any nephews or anything at that time. So, and if I had somebody that was in a slump, I said, take the afternoon off, go to Toys R Us, spend the whole afternoon there, walk up and down every single aisle, look at what you see there. You'll come away with ideas without question. So those things are different today. You can't go in a toy store today. Very difficult to find a toy store today. You know, there's sections in Walmart, Kmart, Target, you know, but it's not quite what Toys R Us wants. No, not at all. I remember... You know, when my kids were little, I spent a lot of time in Toys R Us <laughs> looking for different things. One of the things that, that I found kind of interesting in some notes about about you and about this book um, is, is this uh, notion that you should be persistent, especially if an idea is unusual or cutting edge. And it reminded me of an author I was talking to recently who was very frustrated by the fact that a lot of publishers want to know what their book is like. You know, is it is it like something by this writer? Is it something, but, you know, exactly. because they want to be able to sell it that way. And he was like, I'm trying to be different from everybody else. And they're, <laughs> they're, they're telling me to, you know, compare my right. work to somebody else right. and right. that's what that kind of reminded me of it's like get past that part of it right, right. i agree i agree yeah. we don't need another monopoly uh no <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't mean there isn't you know that there aren't cool board games still to you know conceive oh board board games still come out you know i i think they the easiest thing, talking to individuals, the easiest thing to do today is, is to do a card game, okay? Be because it, it, you can buy blank cards on Amazon and you can start making up a card game from the get-go. You don't have to have a board. You, don't, you know, it's the easiest thing. And, and, and the examples of Cards Against Humanity, which is gigantic today, came out of Chicago. I mean, uh, the, I met the guy who did it. It's amazing, you know. Uh, Magic the Gathering. My gosh, what a concept. I mean, the concept was you buy packs and you create your own deck. And just because you have a lot of money doesn't mean you're going to create the best deck. You know, it's strategy to put your deck together. I mean, that was a genius idea. And I think Hasbro, Hasbro bought it. I don't know if they paid, I don't know, $50 million, $80 million for Magic the Gathering. Exploding kittens. I mean, what a, 
who comes up with a name like Exploding Kittens and makes a game? Huge success. And that was done off of a website where people put money and, and support you. And, and, and they, they got the biggest amount of money ever. I think they got 20 or $30 million support for a card game called Exploding Kittens. Okay? So there's still one out there today. Okay? It's still there. You can do it. Okay? Not going to be easy. You know, but but if if I would give some advice to somebody starting out, I say start there, because the investment and the time and everything else is is you know. What about this this idea of of um, cross promotion um, and and you know movies having game and toy tie-ins and vice versa, cartoons all having. It's, it's- it's gigantic, okay? It's absolutely it, it is. It's okay. huge. But it, it's huge, okay? It's, it's kind of ruined exactly. cartoons. Uh, you, know, you know what? You, I don't know. You know, you look at Lego, okay? Lego was just blocks, okay? And it was fantastic toy. Now they have licenses. They have all these different licenses where you build stuff. It's still terrific toy, okay? You buy a box and it's going to be this starship, whatever it is, or it's going to be something else. And the kid builds that. And then when he's done, he takes it apart and builds other things. So that it took Lego from a terrific toy in a terrific company into a gigantic toy. Okay. <laughs> I, well, and and I get and I get that, but um, I, I just as much as I love uh, cartoons and superheroes, I just can't get excited about Lego Batman. Well, ask a little kid. <laughs> well, that's you know that's that's the thing. You know what? You know what? I, I I learned a lesson about that early on. Okay, this is a long time yeah. ago. Yeah. One of my and, and the guys that worked for the company and ended up working for me had had uh, had something. Okay, comic books. They collected this. They there was something about them that that looked like they'd be a good toy designer. So a guy comes in to me and said, there's this new comic book coming out. These two guys from New Hampshire wrote this comic book, and maybe we should look into it. I, he said it's kind of weird. I said, I can hear weird. He said, well, there's these four characters, Donatello, Michelangelo. <laughs> but, 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 but I said, I know. I studied art history, but it's Mickey and Donnie. Okay, oh, it's okay. And, and they're trained by us, and they're stand-up turtles. They stand you're telling me Raphael is a stand-up turtle. He said, yes. And, and, they're, and they fight bad guys, and they're trained by a sewer rat in New York City. I said, it sounds like a terrible idea, okay? I mean, <laughs> are you kidding me? And you know who made it? Playmates, which was a Chinese company that had offices. Mattel wouldn't make, none of the big guys would make something like that. But they made it and ended up being seven movies. And, you know, again, billions of, you know, that's how it works. That's what the fun of it is, that it's possible. That, that's, you know, that's what it is. And, you know, and, of, like, course, like and of course you're talking about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yeah. <laughs> of course. <laughs> I thought that was obvious. <laughs> well, it, only to those that are familiar. Um, oh, well, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, but they, who isn't familiar with they, those they, characters? They had, they had what seven feature film movies. They had a pizza deal with a uh, I don't know another big. They ate pizza. They have they have pinball machines. Teenage Mutant Ninja pinball machine. I know because I bought one for my grandsons. <laughs> <laughs> oh, those are great. Um, well, I this is so much fun 
Jeffrey, and I appreciate you spending this time with me and the listeners and talking about this and, and the book. Well, I do. How much of the book is memoir and how much of it is um, advice? Well, it, it, it's more a story. I mean, it's, it's a life story. And, and, and if you got a minute, I'll tell you how it came about. You sure. Know? I mean, how our, you know, and, and uh, I had a grandfather. My father's father came from Kiev. It was Kiev, but now it's Kiev. He was, came from there. And he came to this country. His parents put him on a boat at 17 years old, two months on a boat to come to the United States because things were so bad in that country. So my father's father came here by himself at 17 years old, two months on a boat in 19, I'm going to guess 1905, something like that, a long, long time ago. And, and he, he got married to a woman he met uh, from Belarus. So I had three, three grandparents from Russia, one from Belarus, and, and uh, they had two daughters and then my dad, okay? <laughs> you know? and, and so my grandfather, uh, I was very close with him. We went fishing with him. He taught me how to drive a car. Uh, you know, he taught me how to pack things, uh, you know, I mean, he was an uh, amazing guy. And at, when I was 21 years old, he had a heart attack and died. Okay. He wasn't sick. He just, oh, that was it. And I never asked him about his life. I said, how did you have the courage to leave your family? How did you do that? I mean, how, how could you possibly get on a boat? So in, in my ignorance, I said, I'm not going to let my four grandsons. And they know what I do, they, but they, they don't know the whole story. They don't know all this stuff. And they're, they're particularly not interested in it. You know, they're interested when I play ping pong with them, I throw the ball with them. You know, that's what they're interested in. There will so be the a book, time when they're more interested. I understand that. So the book was really motivated by, by a gift for my grandsons to know something about my life, you know, early life. And then, and then it... Uh, you know, it went through, uh, Cynthia is my fourth editor, okay, it went through three <laughs> names, you know, I mean, it, so, you know, and, and I had a friend I went to school with, and I told him what I was doing. He said, how do you write a book? I said, you get a piece of paper and a pencil. That's how you write a book. Okay? <laughs> That's right. I mean, I mean and, and what it did for me, it gave me a huge appreciation of people who can write fiction. I said, wow, you made up all that stuff. I didn't have to make up anything. And, and it, it was well, that begs a, the question, Jeffrey, is there another book on the horizon? For me? Yeah. I, I do have, I'm working on one already. <laughs> <laughs> has, nothing, has nothing to do with my life. has to do with something else. I can't tell you about it yet, but, it, but it? it's, it's, it's nonfiction. It is not, nonfiction. I'm not, it's nonfiction. But nothing to do with my life, nothing to do with the toy business. Well, it's something totally different that I'm excited about, you know. Well, but we're just did, we're just about I'm, out of time, Jeffrey. But I always want to thank you very much. I and mean, if you have another question, but I thank you for your time. I greatly appreciate talking to you. It's been fun, Tom. One one quick one in about thirty sure. seconds. Um, I okay. always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. Obviously, the book's a great place to start. But do you have a website you'd like to share? Well, I have a website for the book. I have a website for my sculpture because what I've been doing, uh, you know, I did the toy thing for 41 years and I knew I was going to leave it at a certain age. And uh, I, I knew I was going to be a full-time sculptor, but that's what I do right now. I'm sitting in my sculpture studio talking to you. And, and well, I... Jeffrey, it's, you know, been, I, it's been a real pleasure. And, uh, and, and I'll just end it by saying keep up the good work. <laughs> Thank you. 
Thank you, Tom. It was fun talking with you. Take care. Hey, <laughs> this is the Unknown Comic. And guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now. And now. And now, too. And even now. It's 2022, and this year the Tom Sumner Program begins its 15th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell. East Village Magazine. Flint Institute of Music. Hello, I'm Maestro Ricky DeMagno. Flint Community School. MTA Flint. Flint Comics and Entertainment. Hamity Complete Food Center. The Flint River Watershed Coalition. W.H. Weiscarver. The Genesee County Road Commission. Long Museum Auto Fair. Thomas Appliance. The Genesee Health Plan, Quiplet Technology, Mark Community College, Pure Michigan. Friends on Facebook have also helped by contributing to the show's online fundraisers two or three times a year. If you would like to help the Tom Sumner program continue to thrive by becoming a sponsor, send an email of interest to Tom at TomSumnerProgram.com. Add your name to the list of supporters, past, present, and future. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans, and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, the hugger and see her on her birthday. You know, I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Rangers Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Do you ever feel like you need an attitude adjustment? Are you wishing there was a magic pill or a new app for your mobile device? Why don't you try live local music? Music can make you dance, bring back fond memories, inspire you to be more creative, whether you attend a child's school concert or recital. Go to a local symphony concert. Visit local bars and restaurants that feature dance music, sing-along piano, or jazz and blues. Music could be just what you're looking for. Supporting live local music is more than a way to support your local artists and economy. It's a great way to improve your own quality of life. Support live local music. This message is brought to you from the Tom Dana. Dana? Something must be wrong. She never calls. Dana? What's wrong? Take this down. She's stranded on the side of the road. I'm not. She needs us to send her an Amazon gift card. I don't. And she'll use it to pay the tow truck driver. I won't. Mom, Dad, that's not me. It's a scam. Scam artists will call, text, or email people trying to get them to buy a gift card from Amazon or some other company. And then ask for the gift card number over the phone. 
Remember, gift cards are for gifting, not for paying people. If someone asks for payment using a gift card from Amazon, Target, or some other store, it's a scam. Hang up or delete the message. These scammers are awful. Wish they'd pretend to be her brother sometimes. Be nice to hear from him. For more tips on avoiding scams, visit michigan.gov AG for your connection to consumer protection. I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. She wheels her wheelbarrow through streets that are narrow. Her barrow is narrow, her hips are too wide. So wherever she wheels it, the neighborhood feels it. Her girdle keeps scraping the homes on each side. In Dublin's fair city, where girls are so pretty, my Molly stands out cause she weighs 18 stone. It's 256 pounds. I don't mind her fat, but... It's not only that, but... She's cockeyed and muscle-bound, Molly Malone. Know a man, his name is Lang, and he has a neon sign. And Mr. Lang is very old, so they call it Old Lang Sign. Oh, what have you done, Billy Sal? Billy Sal? Oh, what have you done, charming Billy? You took almost every cent from the U.S. government Which you spent on fertilizer, which is silly All day, all night, Cary Grant That's all I hear from my wife is Cary Grant What can he do that I can't? Big deal, big star, Cary Grant. Oh, the moon is bright tonight upon the car wash. So I'm having my Volkswagen washed again. But the way things go with me, the way my luck runs, just as soon as they're finished, it will rain. On top of old Smokey, all covered with hair. Of course, I'm referring to Smokey the Bear. 
Here's a famous old folk song that you all know entitled Aura Lee. Every time you take vaccine, take it orally. As you know, the other way is more painfully. My grandfather's clock was the best ever made by the Timex Company. Just like the clock John Cameron Swayze displayed last night on the old TV. Oh, it works underwater so perfectly, and it still makes a ticking sound, which my grandfather tried only this afternoon, and that's how the old man drowned. Do not make a stingy sandwich pile the cold cuts high. Customers should see salami coming through the ride. Oh, I diet all day and I diet all night. It's enough to drive me bats. Got no gravy or potatoes, cause the whole refrigerator's full of polyunsaturated fats. Fairly well, Metrical, and the others of that ilk. Let the diet start tomorrow, cause today I'll drown my sorrow in a double malted milk. Oh, when you go to the delicatessen store, don't buy the liverwurst. Don't buy the liverwurst. Don't buy the liverwurst. I repeat what I just said before. Don't buy the liverwurst. Don't buy the liverwurst. Oh, buy the corned beef if you must. The pickled herring you can trust. And the locks puts you in orbit. A-OK. -okay. But that big hunk of liverwurst has been there since October 1st. And today is the 23rd of May. So when you go to the delicatessen store, don't buy the liverwurst. Don't buy the liverwurst. Don't buy the liverwurst, it'll make your insides awful sore. Don't buy the liverwurst, don't buy the liverwurst! This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. Can go back to school. 
I'm washing my hands like a raccoon with OCD. I've watched Hulu, Roku, Netflix, PBS, and the BBC. I've taken down all my mirrors, and I'm sick of what I see. Of quarantine will be the death of me. The death of me. I risk a trip to the grocery store to buy TV and a few things more. But when I get there, all I can find. Sixteen honey buns and some mad dog wine. I'm washing my hands like a raccoon with OCD. I've watched Hulu, Roku, Netflix, PBS, and the BBC. I've taken down all my mirrors 'cause I'm sick of what I see. Of this quarantine's gonna be the death of me. The death of me. You know they say this is war, but we don't have to storm Omaha Beach or Pork Chop Hill. And we just lay here on the couch and watch TV. Whew, I'd rather volunteer for a high-risk commando raid to parachute into Wuhan and find that little fellow that ordered that bat soup. I know I'm talking out of my head, saying crazy stuff over and over, like "Yes, dear, yes, dear." At breakfast, I meant to say, "Honey, please pass me the pepper." Well, what slipped out was, "You crazy woman, you've ruined my life." <laughs> of course, I immediately apologized. <laughs> Soon as I regained consciousness. From the Tom Sumner Show. Oh yeah. Well, that wraps it up for today's edition of the Tom Sumner Program. Well, we'll be back tomorrow with another uh, uh, great show. Um, starting out with an editor from Nat Geo Kids, in fact, uh, talking about Weird But True. That's coming up tomorrow. I hope you enjoyed the guest today, author of A Game Maker's Life. We had Jeffrey Breslow in this last hour. In the hour before that, we talked with Spencer Schneider about his uh, getting away from, well, the book is called Manhattan Cult Story. And we started out this morning with that Dr. Gabby Wild, a veterinarian uh, who works with Nat Geo. Good night, everybody. It's a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. 
Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner program. And thanks for listening.